I think we have some new deals coming in. Oh, that's right. Off the assembly line. That's right. Factory Direct. I hope you know I idolize you as much as you think. I hope you know. You can tell, obviously, like the the difference between a song that's just designed for TikTok uh, and a song that's actually that actually sounds good, like that's actually made to be a song that stands on its own as like you know a piece of art. And then you got just like TikTok shit. Uh, the the TikTok songs will always have the big catchphrase. That's the thing with TikTok songs. Not a hook, mind you. A hook is different. Uh, TikTok songs gotta have that catchphrase. Uh, in a Okay, there we go again. Oh, shit. My mic is garbage. I need to buy a new mic. But I can't buy a new mic unless you buy some of my comics. So, to everyone out there who'd like a, a more seamless Nicholas Comics Q&A, a better microphone that doesn't cut out, uh, please write to Nicholas Cicada, 1424 Columbine Street, number 1, Denver, Colorado, 80206, and buy some of my flippin' comics so I can get a better microphone had this microphone for about a year and it's cracking the fuck up I need, I need a new mic anywho like i was saying about unholy uh unholy is like if billy joel's uptown girl music video uh was ass because the uptown girl music video uh, also features you know kind of an auto mechanic type setting um, which is interesting, you know, like a like a like a car garage, you know, where you where you go to take your car. Uh, obviously, that's a really cool set, and that's a cool cool spot where you, you can do a lot, right? Um, but in the unholy music video, it starts out there, and then the main guy just walks to the back of that, and just there's like a, there's like an opera theater in the back of the body shop, uh, which doesn't make any fucking sense. And, like, it'd be way cooler if the whole music video was just set in the body shop. I'm not saying that'd make the song any better. The song would still sound like ass. But maybe, you know, just maybe the, the whole music video should have been shot in the body shop. It'd feel more like a ripoff of Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Um, but, you know, that's a much cooler spot than just some fucking stage. Just some fucking theater. You know, a, a mechanic spot. Uh, we're, like, if Daddy's getting hot in the body shop, then the music video should be set in the body shop, I think. The lyrics don't say Daddy's getting hot in the opera palace, they say Daddy's getting hot in the body shop. Uh, that's another thing that I d dislike about the Unholy, uh, song, is it, uh, it says Daddy too much. I'm fucking done with this, this shit, like, this is corny as fuck. This is some next-level cringe right here. I'm not into any song that says Daddy or any of that. Uh, no thanks. Uh, when I hear that, you know, I just think about fucking, like, Limp Bizkit. That's where my mind goes, because that sounds like something Fred Durst would be would be saying, you know? Daddy. Uh, it, it's not, it's not, uh... I, you know, I, I guess the Unholy song is trying to be kind of like saucy 
uh, the the la the least saucy thing to me, and I imagine most people is daddy. Daddy, don't go. Daddy's getting hot at the body shop. Uh, this is this that's not like a. You know, I I, I imagine the only people who who'd play uh <laughs> unholy un, un, during like a romantic occasion would be like nuts, right? Because there's nothing hot about it. Sam Smith and his what is it three three ten? Sam Smith and this like goofy freaking hornist like it it just it it's so stupid. And this is the thing is like unholy. Unholy is like I I feel like all these TikTok songs. They're the spiritual successor to those fucking trash YouTube hits that used to be fucking all over, like Anisian's Banana Song, or Tabuscus's Nugget and a Biscuits type song. Uh, you know, just songs with, like, zero substance, and they're just trying to be LOL random and, and meme -y. You know, that's the thing about the, you know, the, the classic YouTube shit songs is that they were all just trying to be memed to to hell and back you know just memed up just memed up a bunch um and they did that by being as outrageous as possible as like deliberately like just nonsense just a bunch of shit just a bunch of a uh, spam right i'm a banana i'm a banana and I feel like that's just music without any real substance, if you think about it. Like, Anisian's Banana Song hasn't aged very well. And I'm sure in ten years, uh, nobody is going to be, like, praising Unholy as this great fucking, you know, milestone of pop music or anything. This is just designed to be this, like forgettable, disposable, you hear it once, you repost it on TikTok type thing, um, with a re you know, a really big, a really big line, you know, Daddy's getting hot at the body shop, you know, completely sacrificing, like, a more complex structure, uh, a more complex chord progression, or, or, or arrangement, you know, maybe a switch up, uh, just for the sake of this really predictable, recognizable, you know, like, structure that, that you can just sync up to a TikTok for, like, 20 seconds. Unholy's ass. It's, it's an unholy fucking song. And I don't get who doesn't, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's a good pop song. And that's just my opinion, you know. Take it or leave it. it it's, it's, it's freaking stupid. Sam Smith, and they're like, the freaking dancing, it, it's just, it's, it's so bad, I don't get who's into this shit, it, it's, this, the song is not even, like, fun to listen to, it, it's, it's, it's a chore, it's a chore to hear from front to back, daddy's getting hot at the body shop, Doing something unholy. It sounds like Adam Snadler practically, you know? I mean, Adam Snadler's a better singer than Sam Smith, if I'm be honest. Adam Snadler has some fucking pipes on him, you know? Shout out to Adam Snad. Anyway. 
Uh, yeah, I really can't stand Unholy. And, uh, another point is that, uh, in, like, the, the Grammys or whatever, um, Sam Smith was dressed up as Satan. I guess I'll bring this up again for those of you who don't get my uh, viewpoint on if, like, you know, a, a gay guy or, like, adopts satanic imagery. It's bad for the LGBTQ, like, community to, to do that. It, it's really bad. It'd be like... You know, it, it's like... It, it's a sign of oppression. Uh, it, it's not good for uh, gay people to, like, adopt demonic themes or shit. Because the last thing gay sex needs to be associated with is, like, hellfire, you know? That'd be like if, like... That'd be like if Jewish people went around wearing yellow stars of David all day to identify themselves as being Jewish just because the Nazis enforced that. Like, you can't wear a symbol of oppression all the time just as, like, a statement or, like, as a joke or whatever. It's, it's like, serious shit. Um, and it's not funny, you know? Um... Now, I, I, I am on record as giving a pass to, to Lil Nas X's Montero. Um, this is because Montero, uh, unlike Unholy, uh, is actually a, a good song, believe it or not. Like, I listen to Montero, and I'm like, ooh, this is kind of groovy. Oh, Lil Nas X, kind of a good fucking singer, kind of has a decent production value. Montero's kind of fucking catchy. Like, if you listen to it, you know, I get that Lil Nas X is, like, very, very into TikTok, and obviously Old Town Road is big on TikTok, but I think Lil Nas X's songs is the difference between him and Sam Smith. Lil Nas X's songs actually stand on their own as songs beyond TikTok. Like, Old Town Road, every year that goes by, I just appreciate Old Town Road more and more as the viral smash banger that it is. It's a good fucking song. Just on its own. It's it's fucking catchy. Uh, and the same goes for Montero. Montero's actually catchy. I think the music video is dumb. And the music video is just trying to be edgy. But I give it a pass because the song is just so good. Uh, the music video, I don't really object to it because it has Satan. I object to it because it has too much fucking CGI. And I think that's annoying. Uh, but much like how I give the Star Wars prequels a pass for using excessive CGI... Is because the story is so good. George Lucas is such a great director and knows what he's doing. Uh, I think it's fair to give Lil Nas X a pass uh, for Montero because it's a it's a good song. Like it's actually good, and you do actually feel like Lil Nas X is having an interesting thought, you know, an interesting discussion to say uh, about his homosexuality. Uh, do I think you know, like lyrically? I don't think it's presented the most deep visually. There's nothing uh, that philosophical or, or crazy about the music video. The music video is just very, like, brash, you know. It's obviously, you know, and Lil Nas X is a bit of a troll, you know. He's trying to get a, under the skin of the, of the Christian crowd. Do I think that's stupid? There's no point to it, really? Yeah, I don't think there's really a point to it. At the same time, it's just a really good song. So, 
you know, Lil Nas X can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's an actual, like, rapper and, and pop star and all, and, you know, he's actually, like, competent in what he does. Uh, with Sam Smith, there's nothing deep or, or, like, interesting about Unholy. It's not about grappling with your homosexuality, even. It's, it's not even a gay song. It's just a cheating song. It's just about daddy getting hot at the body shop and, like, his wife doesn't know and she calls him daddy and, and he's getting hot at the body shop doing something unholy. It's not even about being gay. I don't even get, like, who, who listens to unholy and goes, oh, this is such a, a triumph for the LGBTQ crowd. Like, how? Anyone can cheat. You can be homo and cheat. You can be hetero and cheat. You can... Anyone can cheat. It's not about being gay. It's about infidelity. And there's a million fucking songs already about cheating, about infidelity. It's like the oldest... One of the oldest uh, pop song themes. Oh, I, I, I had... Let's see. And just for the heck of it, let's look up a list of all the songs... Uh, about cheating here. Let's check it out. I, I think I I I think Sam Smith's fucking annoying. I think like it's not good for pop music to have Sam Smith be the face of it. But what you know? What do I know? I'm, I'm I'm not a, a pop musician per se. Songs about cheating. Let's see how many there are. Probably a shit ton, because it's been done to death. Heard it through the grapevine. Eh. Heard it through the grapevine's not really about cheating. It's more about, like, a relationship that's about to break up, but not necessarily, like, she hasn't necessarily cheated on Morvin Gay. I never really thought about it being about cheating. Let's see. Uh, list from 17.com here. How many songs we got? Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl. Eh, yeah. Uh, Justin Timberlake, Cry Me a River. Mario, How Could You? Shit, there's a pop star called Mario. Amazing. Uh, let's see. Uh, my computer is so fucking slow. I just load up another page and it insta-freezes here. Ooh. There we go. Alright. Still recording? Still on this? Let's see. Yep. Fine. Okay. What, what, what we got? Uh, Cold Shoulder by Adele. Hit em Up Style by Blue Can... I, I know it's not just new ones. There's like a million of these from before 1990. Especially in, like, the 70s, you know? It's, like, ton tons of this shit. It's It's been done forever. Freezing again. Part of Me by Katy Perry. Morvin's Room by Drake. Drake has a cheating song. Everyone has a fucking cheating song. It's the oldest shit in a book, you know? It, it is. <laughs> so, you know. Sam Smith is so annoying. They're just like... I, I don't get who goes, Oh, wow. Sam Smith. Uh, I, I am gonna come out and say it. It's because they're British. You know? 
the British branding. And that's that's why Adele got big, too. Because Adele actually sounds American when she sings. Like, rumor has it is a very, like, American-ass-sounding song. Uh, but Sam Smith sounds a bit more British when when they sing, so... I think that's part of the appeal. That's also why Harry Styles is big, you know, because Harry Styles is British. And everyone sees being British as, like, exotic or something. All the all these, you know, freaking 14-year-old American girls popping up and down like, Oh, wow, he's British. And it's like, you know, like, cool your jets. It's Britain. It's not freaking Sri Lanka. It, it's freaking Britain. It's not an exciting country. Of course, Harry Styles also has the benefit of, you know, being like One Direction before he went his his big pop glam route. So he already has this big established reputation. It's not like Harry Styles' success just comes out of nowhere. Um, the same way, you know, Justin Timberlake's doesn't come out of nowhere. If you're part of a boy band before you get a big solo, you know, you'll obviously have way more chance of success. Um, I don't like Harry Styles either. I think Harry Styles is annoying. Uh, I do think Sam Smith is more annoying than Harry Styles. Uh, I, I don't get... I don't get Harry Styles. He's trying to be like the next Dalton John or David Bowie, but he's just not. There's no way, you know. There's there's no way that uh, Harry Styles is as cool as like Elton John or David Bowie. That's just not going to happen. It's just not. But that's that's obviously what Harry Styles is going for, like the next big glam rock, you know, like icon shit with the glitter and everything. There's nothing offensive about music for a sushi restaurant. It's just not cool. It's not like a David Bowie song. It sounds like some shit you'd hear in the background of a Target ad with the fucking DuckTales trumpets, the fucking... I mean, those sound good in some songs, like like Freeze Frame or uh, Susudio, you know. But I don't get this fucking... It gets, you know, it's kind of a... It's kind of bland after a bit. It gets kind of it wears kind of thin, and it gets annoying. I'd say that's that's the annoying bit of uh, music for a sushi restaurant, whereas the annoying bit of every Sam Smith song ever uh, is their frickin' voice, which just sounds like a like a mouse in a glue trap, just squealing, writhing in pain. Uh, I I don't get unholy. It's really just an an ass song. It's it's so it's so ridiculously stupid. This is the you know this is the pop landscape today. Like you got some really fucking good pop songs. You got some really fucking terrible ones. The direction of pop music is kind of in weird territory currently. It's in a it's in a strange spot as of as of now. But um. Yeah, I, I, I for one, uh, I, I for one think it's dumb for, like, gay people to be like, Oh, looky, I'm in hell and I'm wearing a devil costume. Uh, now, s someone mentioned, um, 
Jam Smith and Kim Petras did a performance making fun of how Christians treat gay people by showing all this satanic imagery during their performance, and the Christians got mad. Can't do satire about their religion, I guess, without causing an uproar. That's not satire. That's exactly what the Christians want. That's playing into the Christians' hands. Uh, it would be satire if uh, you just, like, displayed uh, Jesus in a clown costume, right? Clown Jesus. Uh, this would be effective satire of Christianity, because Jesus is seen as the Christian Messiah, so if you make fun of Jesus, if you knock him down a peg, then that's satirizing Christianity. Uh, if, if Jesus comes out and he's like wearing a clown no nose and he like slips on a banana peel, um, or, you know, he like says something dumb, like, I made a doo-doo. That'd be satire. That'd be, that'd be like taking the piss out of Christianity. Um, but there's nothing like, it's not satire to say, hey, I'm gay, and because I'm gay, I've gone to hell. That's what Christians actually believe, and Christians want gay people there. So that's not really, that's not really like, it's not really, it's not really satire. That's just like, reinforcing this terrible stereotype you know like during during the 80s scare when it was like dungeons and dragons uh was satanic or whatever you know everyone is like dungeons and dragons is satanic and just for the record i don't totally buy that this was like as big as we say it is currently i think it is kind of a, a, an invented event i don't think everyone back in the 80s just for the record was crazy like that um but supposing that, that, you know, how everyone says it is was actually uh, that, that, that insane over Dungeons & Dragons, right? Dungeons & Dragons players uh, just denied that they had anything to do with Satanism. They, were, they didn't, like, start putting on horns and shit to be edgy, you know. Dungeons & Dragons players were just like, no, it's just a board game. They denied association with the devil. Because that's the responsible, mature thing to do. They didn't just double down and go, Yeah, fucking sat the Satan's board game. I think that's a much more mature response. And it's even worse for something like homosexuality, which is like a serious societal issue, you know, and not like a fucking board game. You really have to handle it with, like, tact, you know? And there's nothing tactful about pretending to be in league with the devil and gay. And, it, like, I don't give a shit. Because the, the devil and God aren't real guys. They're, they're made up. And I don't care. But uh, the devil isn't the good guy. So why, why would you dress up as the bad guy? What's the point to that? I think Satanism in general is pretty lame. Uh, I'm I'm not much into Satanism because uh, I don't give a shit about God or the devil. I think worshiping either of them is boring and lame because it really is just the most boring fucking good versus evil dichotomy where you're either with God or you're against God. Honestly. Fuck the devil and fuck God. I don't care about either of these characters. They're boring. 
They're a lame su sauce. Uh, the Bible is fucking boring. Now, you read The Odyssey. Uh, the Odyssey, by contrast, is a fantastic fucking book. The Greeks knew how to write a fucking rip-roaring adventure that wasn't just shitty propaganda. Because uh, it's, like, fucking stupid. Uh, the Bible's ass. Bible's like an ass book, <laughs> and everyone's like, well, it's a bestseller, it sold millions of copies, and it's like, yeah, that's because for a thousand fucking years, it's the only book anyone uh, was able to read legally, or most of them didn't even fucking read it because there was endemic illiteracy, it was just read to them in church, and they went down to their shit farm and farmed some more shit from the, from the shit fields. <laughs> I don't get who like glorifies the Middle Ages. They 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 are the worst period of of like human history, hands down. It's pure ass. Um. But yeah, there's nothing there's nothing really like jokey or goofy about uh you know, freaking freaking ha having a a, a gay. I mean, Unholy isn't even a gay song, so it doesn't even make any sense. But having, like, a a cheating song... I guess maybe that's why they dressed up as Satan, cause, because the cheating is, like, against God or whatever. Um, well, no, that's not true. I mean, the Bible encourages polygamy and shit. Um, it's like... It's it's not a joke to be gay and then to parade on stage is is like a a big stereotype and like reinforce the belief that gay people go to hell. Again, that's like it's like if there was a Jewish like musician like Lil Dicky. I mean, Lil Dicky probably would do this, but imagine if Lil Dicky came on stage. And the stage was like designed to look like Auschwitz. It it, it it's an ugly it's an ugly, bad way to present uh, yourself as like deserving of cruelty or torment or something. Here's the here's the long and short of it. Uh, gay people don't deserve hell. Uh, in fact, nobody deserves hell. Hell cannot be morally justified. There there is no ethical justification. Or eternal torment, given that human the, the human existence is finite. You can't. You can't. It, it is not just to afford infinite suffering for finite wrongdoing. That's just not. That, that's not justice. That's evil. Uh, that that's not. There's no justification for it. There just isn't. It it doesn't make any fucking sense. Um. And I'm sick of see I'm sick of seeing it. I'm sick of hearing about it. I am sick of Satan shit. I I don't know who isn't at this point. I'm fucking sick of Satan shit. I'm sick of I'm sick of like devil imagery. I th I thought we got past that after the '80s when everyone wanted to be all edgy and be like ooh. I'm a Satanist, man, bro. I'm a fucking Satanist. Urgh. You know, and I, it's not that I I hate goths or or Wiccans or whatever. They're fine. I I could I I actually really like you know the freaking uh, I I like most of Wiccan shit because most Wiccans aren't Satanists. Cause Wic Wicca isn't about worshiping Satan. Uh, and and that's interesting. 
I, I don't just hate Satanism because it, it is like saying I'm an evil piece of shit and I align myself uh, with the frickin' evil god from this stupid good versus evil dichotomy belief system. I just hate it because it's fucking edgy and it's not interesting. There's nothing interesting about Satan. He's fucking boring. Uh, if, if, you, if you align yourself to a more complex character... Uh, like Athena or something, then you're going to be a more interesting person. Oh shit. I think out of all the deities, out of all world religions and shit, I think Athena is definitely my fave. She's a strong female badass character. She does all this badass shit, especially in the Odyssey. Helps Odysseus out a lot. And she's literally just like a personification of wisdom. You know, of being a smart cookie instead of being a fucking dumbass. And I think in these times we could definitely use Athena. So, uh, I'm, I'm all for Athena. She's my fucking fave. She's my fave of all the, all the gods, you know. Gods and goddesses of the world, I have to say. Like, Athena's just a, such a flippin' cool character. And the fact that people don't, like, you know, uh, respect Athena... They, 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 they pray to this fucking Jehovah asshole, but they, they don't give Athena her fair share. Uh, that's a fucking injustice. Athena's cool as shit. And, uh, yeah, pr props to Athena. Shout out for Athena. Uh, Athena's the shit. And just being, you know, like a smart, the smart guy that I am, uh, I really prefer a deity... Uh, who's who's uh, smart, you know, who's not a fucking dumbass. Athena's pretty pretty dang sharp. She's got she's got the right noggin, you know. She's got she's got a dynamite going on in the noodle, you know. I like that. She's got she's got a good head on her shoulders. And I'm big into that. So Athena's definitely uh my fave. Of course, all the all the uh, Greek goddesses are fantastic characters in their own right. You got Hera, you got Aphrodite, you got Persephone. So many to choose from, all of whom are just fantastic female characters uh, with agency and ambition and, and sophistication. And that's something you don't get in the Bible, where all the female characters are either impregnated by God... You know, Mary is basically just a breeding stock, uh, or they're like traitors and demons, uh, like Lilith. Lilith, of course, is the original wife of Adam, um, who uh, was then retconned out of the Bible and made apocryphal, and now everyone equates her essentially with Satan. Some people say the snake in the Garden of Eden is Satan, uh, some people say the snake in the Garden of Eden isn't Satan. It's completely inconsistent. There's no fucking consistency to, to what the fuck is going on. And then Eve uh, is also a bitch, and she also contributes to the downfall of, of you know everything by eating the apple. So it's not like she's better. Every fucking woman in the Bible is portrayed as uh, either like useless or evil. Like, actively malevolent or or uh, just, like, really stupid and inactive. And that's to be expected because uh, Christianity is a patriarchal religion with one male god. 
and uh, that's that's bad for uh, equality of the sexes. You see, the great thing about Greek mythology is that the supreme being in Greek mythology isn't actually Zeus. That's a common misconception. Uh, it's actually Gaia, the, the personification of the earth. If you actually look into this, it's fascinating. And I know a, a lot of Christians don't bother to do this. Uh, Zeus isn't the equivalent uh, of God. Uh, Zeus, Zeus is the main lead god, but he's not at all like Jehovah, because in Greek mythology, the gods aren't really as omniscient or omnipotent. They, 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 they're imperfect beings. Um, and this gives their stories much more weight and excitement than if they just knew everything and could see absolutely everything and, you know, do absolutely everything. They have limitations and particular fields uh, of interest. You know, each god represents something different. One's the wisdom, one's the strength, so on. Um, yeah, Ga Gaia is actually the uh, the ancestral mother, according to uh, Wikipedia. So, you think about it, uh, if, if you think about it, Gre Greek mythology is actually matriarchal, because the, the actual supreme being... It, let me explain this. At the bottom, you have humans, right? Like Odysseus, um, all those. Then you got demigods, like Hercules. Half god, half human. Demigods. Then you got gods. That's uh, like Apollo, Athena, Zeus, Hades, all the ones everyone knows. Of those, you got the Titans. Titans are like, more, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're more abstract concepts than the gods represent. And uh, it's like Titan. You know, holds up the sky. Above that, that the primordial shit, that Gaia, is such a cool flippin' idea, and I really like that. Uh, but yeah, the Greek mythology is actually very gender equal, and uh, I prefer that in my fantasy stories. I prefer uh, multiple gods, some of whom are, you know, women. I, I don't know, I just prefer that, because uh, I'm not a fucking sexist, and I don't believe that women should be subservient to men. And technically, if you actually believe in Greek mythology, or not believe in it, but just study it really well, because I don't believe in it, um, if you just study it, uh, Zeus actually isn't the supreme being. I'm in fucking misconception, I know, but there are a lot of fucking idiots out here who don't understand basic world mythology. It, it It is sad. It is truly depressing uh, how a lot of people don't get this shit. As for uh, God versus Satan, I just think uh, the devil is a fucking boring character. Like, fuck the devil. I'm so done with it. I'm so done with devil shit because he fucking sucks. He's not a, he's not a captivating or interesting or compelling antagonist. He's just, he's, he's just evil. He's just evil because he's just the, the physical embodiment of evil. And that's so fucking boring. And I know there's the whole, you know, John Milton Paradise Lost bit. That's just fan fiction. That's not the real Bible. Same way the Divine Comedy isn't the, the actual Bible. It's fan fiction. It's fan fiction of the Bible. Um... In the Bible, Satan is not a well-developed character at all. In fact, who he is constantly fucking changes. 
all the fucking time. And, uh, it, it, it's lame. It's really fucking lame. Satan is ass. I can name a lot of uh, antagonists in uh, popular fiction who were better and more well-rounded than Satan. Uh, Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. Uh, Mr. Dark from Something Wicked This Way Comes, one of the greatest fucking antagonists of all time. Uh, Baron Harkonnen from Dune. Hey, there's one. Way better. Way better fucking antagonist. Thousand fucking times more well-developed and interesting uh, than Satan. Satan is fucking lame. I'm sick of Satan. Boring. Snooze fest. Let's get a cooler uh, villain in here, please. Snidely Whiplash. Way better fucking villain than Satan. Believe it or not, yes, that's true. Snidely Whiplash is a better villain than Satan. Better fucking antagonist. More consistent, better characterization. No shit. Uh, I just don't get claiming that uh, Sam Smith dressing up as the devil is like satire. That's not what satire is. If you think that's satire, you're kind of dense. Um, effective satire does not just reinforce a, a belief system. It, it dissects the belief system. Uh, it, it would be satire of Christianity uh, if it was, again, Jesus in a clown costume or like Jesus in a Jesus like Jesus saying, I'm a fucking idiot, or God saying that. Um, there's a lot of ways you can effectively satirize Christianity, um, but being gay and dressing up as Satan uh, is, is not even satire. I would not even call that uh, effective satire. That's just playing right into the Christian's fucking hands. It's, it's, so, it's so ass. I'm so sick of it. Like... Are we just fucking sick of this? Just fucking get ditch Christianity already. Fuck it. 2023. Just start looking into other gods. There's way better and cooler ones out there. Do your fucking research and uh, be done with this fucking god Satan shit already. It's fucking boring. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, suffice to say, I've spent... What, 45 minutes on this? Uh, unholy is, uh, ass. It is unholy in terms of how it sounds, production value, music video, uh, shit pop song. Just total shit. I, I don't get who goes, wow, this is the hit, this is, this is the big thing. It, it really is just, ugh, I, I, I did it's not fun to listen to. It's it's bad. Uh, I don't I don't get. Again, I just think it's because Sam Smith is Brit British, and that's the big popular thing now. Um, to be Brit British. Let's see. Sam Smith tweets last night. Heart emoji. The choreography in every scene, um, it's freezing here, my stupid computer. What is up with this? Wow.
My computer truly is next level garbage. Um. The choreography in every scene, referring to the I'm not here to make friends music video, is a celebration of intimacy, individuality, sensuality, and joy. These dances echo RuPaul's slogan at the beginning of the video. Yeah, okay, maybe maybe the I'm not here to make friends music video is a bit better. I doubt I'll like the song. But let's see let's see the uh let's let's see the music video. It's, pro it's probably better. I I don't really get Sam Smith being like, "Yeah, I represent individuality whilst putting on imagery that is like meant to reference the world's most bland, generic, boring, wrong belief system that everyone buys into. That's not exactly being a weirdo, you know, that's kind of just being a fucking normie. Uh, but let's see, I'm not here to make friends. Oh, this is the one with the big, the big pink, uh, frilly dress, right? Okay. Which, uh, they wore on, a. Uh, Impetuous comes like out from under it. Yeah, I, I saw the SNL unholy, but uh, this is I'm not. All right, so the first five seconds, we already have a really terrible CGI uh, title that looks a lot like one of those Minecraft dubstep intros that used to be on YouTube videos around 2015, and it's very sparkly and glittery. Uh, this isn't the type of song I'm much into. And we got, uh, directed by Tanu Muino, choreographed by La Horde, uh, which I guess is the same dance troupe who is in the Unholy, uh, music video. And I didn't much like the dancing in that, so maybe I won't like the dancing in this either. Alright, we got 10 seconds in, uh, Sam Smith coming down on the big golden helicopter, pink dress. I like the pink dress, actually. I, that's actually a, a, a pretty cool outfit. It looks kind of like out of a Dr. Seuss book or something. Uh, way better than the Satan outfit, I'll say that much, because uh, at least it looks, uh, like, new, I guess. So then some of the Lahore group comes up to Sam and uh, get off the helicopter. Everybody's looking for somebody, for somebody to take home. Uh, yeah. This is in the type music I think is really like catchy or anything. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not as bad as Unholy. If this, if this was the hit, I, I probably wouldn't even, like, well, I wouldn't like it, but I wouldn't really care. Just the fact that Unholy's the hit, it's like, Unholy is ass. Uh, this one has, again, this is my, my first time reaction to it. It, it, it's not, it's not exactly the... The vocals are the worst part, but it has, like, a decent beat, which I assume isn't Sam Smith's, you know. 
they probably have like a, a full production team to make this like really polished, bouncy, pop-type beat. Um, yeah, this one isn't great, it's just kind of inoffensive, kind of mediocre. I'll say that. Uh, like, I like the dress, the dress is actually pretty, pre pretty cool, as opposed to like this suspender fucking... It looks like frickin'... I don't even know what it's supposed to be with the Unholy music video. It's like... It's like... I guess it's supposed to be bondage gear, but it doesn't look like bondage gear. It just looks like stupid... Suspenders. Like, out, out of, like, American Gothic or something. It looks goofy. It looks like Farmer Joe. Uh, Yeah, this isn't the type pop song I'm much I'm I'm too fond of or anything. It's not really a different in any notable way. It's not really like crazy. I I guess uh, I'll give Sam Smith this. They know how to appeal to the biggest possible demographic cuz this is just like extremely digestible pop filler. You this like playing over the background on a flipping, uh, you know, stereo system. It's not like, it doesn't command one's attention, per se, which I think pop songs should do. I think pop songs should be a lot more exciting, for one. But, you know, what do I know? I also don't get this, this current trend of uh, not directing your own music video. I don't really get that. You know, I think, like, if you're going to have a great a great song that will last the age, maybe direct your own music video. I mean, this isn't the case all the way over, you know. It's not universal. Thriller, the biggest music video of all time, wasn't directed by Michael Jackson. It was directed by John Landis, right? Um, but on the other hand... Once in a Lifetime is directed by David Byrne and Tony Basil, but David Byrne too, you know, he's involved. I think, I think, uh, generally competent music videos have more, uh, direction from the, from whoever's singing, you know, from the guy singing, you know. I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of critical. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too fond of this type this song it's not it's not that great it's like it's not as it's not as bad as unholy i'll say that um but you know i i uh it's not exactly an earworm i guess that's i guess that's the thing is it it unholy is designed to be way more of an earworm but it's just like really annoying uh awful earworm you know it gets in your head but uh, it's f fucking annoying uh, it, 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 it's awful. It's like, it's like who let the dogs out, you know? Like, you, you remember it, but it's just, it just sounds terrible. Um, the, I'm not here to make friends, on the other hand. I, I, it's like, there's nothing really, a standout about it. It's not like Unholy with the big operatic element. It, it doesn't have that, you know? That's what sets Unholy apart, is the clanky industrial back. And the and the operatic slant, as I'm not here to make friends, is just like the very basic, 
really, really predictable by the numbers. Pop hit with the bouncy pop beat in the back. Uh, and the terrible vocals over it. Uh, I, I really don't get it, but... Lahore is okay, I guess, as far as, as backup dancers go. I don't really care about the set. Uh, it's like it's just like a big a big mansion. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I actually do like the body shop set from uh, Unholy. Maybe if they actually just maybe if the whole music video is just set in the body shop, I'd take it. More, I, I'd actually like it because it'd be like yeah, they'd be aware of what a what a meme song it is, like what a big joke it is to have lyrics like Addie's getting hot in the body shop. But since it's all in the fucking opera theater, it feels like they're trying to make it too grand and spectacular. They're not really committing to the bit. It's the same with uh I'm not here to make friends. It's like what's the difference between a big opulent mansion set and a big opulent opera set? It's like you you should have more interesting backgrounds and, and settings and shit for a music video, I feel like. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned like that, but I prefer music videos that I fucking remember because they're set in, like, cool places, you know? Cool, cool settings. But why even build the body shop if you're not going to have the whole ass song in the body shop? Doesn't make any freaking sense. But, uh... I'm not here to make friends is actually like, eh, you know, I wouldn't be like offended if I heard it. It's not grating to the ears, I guess, aside from Sam Smith singing, which is the same, just like, I don't think Sam Smith knows how to sing. Um, it's not like an experimental voice or anything, you know, it's not like... It's not like when David Byrne, for instance, you know, in Once in a Lifetime. I know I keep going back to Once in a Lifetime, but I like Once in a Lifetime so much. It's not like where, uh, you know, he's, he's, he like talks like a televangelist. Like, that's some experimental out there shit. Sam Smith isn't trying to do, like, a weird type singing or anything. It's obviously supposed to be, like, this big, opulent pop, they, like a big pop, a big pop dance banger. It just—I I just don't think it lands. I don't think it's a—it's a—it's a great pop song. Um, you know, I think like I—I—I uh, I, I would in fact argue that "Call Me Maybe" by Carly Rae Jepsen's a better pop song than this. At least I remember "Call Me Maybe." I, I will probably instantly forget. I'm not here to make friends by tomorrow. You know, for, for someone who's not here to make friends, Sam Smith sure is surrounded by a bunch of pals here in this music video. Lahord seems pretty chummy. The big party. I feel like it'd be a better music video if it was just like... I feel like it'd be a better music video if it was just like Sam Smith alone in a room. Just like... I'm not here to make friends, which is why there's nobody around me, and I'm not at a big fucking blowout party where everyone is having fun and dancing the night away. You know, that kind of uh, defeats the title there. But, you know, what do I know? I'm not a 
uh, a million dollar music video director like, uh, uh, what's her name? Who directed this? Tanu Muino. So, I don't know. Uh, It should be called, I Got a Bunch of Friends. I'm big and popular. I'm Sam Smith. I won the Grammy or whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah, not a big fan of Sam Smith, their vocal delivery. I mentioned this, I remember the, the James Bond theme, what was it for? Uh, Skyfall? I think Skyfall. When Skyfall came out, Sam Smith did the theme for that, and it was ass. It was so bad. It's the worst James Bond theme, hands down. James Bond deserves better themes than Sam Smith. It was like, How to put down, how to put down, how to put down. I was none too fond of that. It was really goofy and uh, was not uh, a good James Bond theme. Anywho, I'm not here to make friends, says the pop star with the most current like popularity ever you know and and i i i don't get like i i don't i don't comprehend sex you know i'm asexual so uh i i see i see you know a bit flamboyance or whatever i i don't get it and it's not inherently negative in a music video if there's a, b- a bunch of flamboyance straight or gay or whatever I don't get it. So to sell me on a song, uh, to sell me an asexual, and I'm probably not the target audience for, you know, Sam Smith's gay, non-binary, flamboyant type attitude or whatever. To sell me as an asexual on a song, it's got to have more than just a Durex condom product placement in there uh, to, 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 to get me in, you know? To make me into it, right? It has to be a, a catchy fucking song. Uh, I, I can't stand that freaking Durex product placement in Unholy. It's so try-hard. Like, what the shit? I didn't even know music videos still had product placement. I thought that went out of fashion like 10 years ago. But, uh, you know, I guess you gotta pay, I guess you gotta pay the bills somehow. Gotta put your freaking Durex condom in there. Durex. Use this brand brand but as somebody who doesn't use condoms because i don't have sex uh, a song has to actually be good uh for me to enjoy it and like it it can be about a relationship sure it can i like a bunch of songs about relationships or cheating or whatever tons of experiences i'll never personally go through there's plenty of songs that are about you know having a girlfriend or having a boyfriend that i enjoy not because of the relatability of it, not because I relate to the lyrics any, uh, because it's a good fucking song with a great structure to it. And uh, I, I just don't think Unholy uh, really nails nails that. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's obviously just supposed to be, you know, appealing to the gay crowd. But I think, for one... Lil Nas X did this way better uh, when Montero came out. Because Montero is not only 
actually more about being gay, lyrically speaking, uh, it's also a good song. And I think if you want to make a, a gay song and, and brand yourself as the LGBTQ gay singer, you know, the, the first order of business should be, do my songs sound good? Will this appeal to a mainstream wide audience? Like, sure, the, fu the fundamentalist Christians might still not like it. They might just reject a great song, even if it's great. But would, would, the, would the mainstream be into this song? Like, if you want to use, uh, you, you know, your LGBTQ plus message, if you want to spread it, spread acceptance of the LGBTQ plus lifestyle, the first step towards that uh, is to have a fucking banger, right? Like, Elton John is gay, and also, all of his songs are fucking epic, right? So, he's kind of the first example of that, of, like, gay songs. And, and, you know, none of his songs are, like, actually about being gay. So, Lil Nas X really did, like, just great, great shit with, uh... It's mine peril. I know it might. I know it might sound like, uh, like I'm like I'm giving Lil Nas X unfair preference because he also has the devil in his music video, but it really is just true. Lil Nas X is a much better fucking rapper. He's he's cooler. His songs are epic. His songs are actually like catchy and good. And, uh, I, I like Montero. It's actually, um, it, it's actually a good song. I, I can't say it's not. I'd be dishonest if I said that Montero isn't a great frickin' song. And it also helps, of course, that Lil Nas X has Old Town Road under his belt before he decided to come out with his gay anthem, so he's already established as, like, a big pop sensation, and then he can use that platform to spread his gay message, right? Uh, Gunsoku here on the Nicholas Comics server says, Sounds like a very niche condition. Uh, in reference to me saying, I don't give any credit to songs with daddy in the lyrics. Uh, because it's cringe is the simple answer, but I'll, I'll elaborate here on uh, voice chat. Calling your romantic partner daddy is cringe. Uh, I think it's cringe. I don't get it. Why do that? Uh, if, if you just do it in your own, you know, when you're having saucy times alone, that's fine. If you put it in your fucking pop song, cringe. Nobody needs to hear this. You know, let's... It's not hot. It's fucking goofy. I, I'm not gonna hear, Daddy, don't go. Daddy's getting hot at the body shop. Uh, I'm not gonna hear that and think, Wow, this is a romance song to last the ages. Uh, ass. Why is it cringe to you? Uh, here's, here's why. Because a spouse isn't a parent. Because I, I, I don't really get who doesn't get to, you know, process this. Um, 
Your husband isn't your dad. Pretty basic shit. Uh, it, it's not much. It's not much more complex than that. Uh, if if you're calling your husband daddy, maybe rethink your your uh, brain. I don't know. Uh, just cringe. It's like if you call your freaking spouse freaking papa or something. I don't, I don't need to hear your pillow talk in your mainstream... I, I don't need to hear your fucking pillow talk in your mainstream pop hit. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Don't like the usage of daddy as in a sexual partner. Uh, I don't like the usage of daddy unless you're under the age... Uh, I don't like the usage of daddy by anyone under the age of seven. I'll put it that way. The age of seven. I don't like baby talk. I I'm not a big fan of it. I prefer uh, mature literacy. Now, if you're going to make an adult song, uh, here's an idea. Uh, talk like a fucking adult. Now, just a thought. Uh, the only place daddy goes is in fucking Teletubbies. Aside from that, uh, let's not have it in the frickin' the frickin' pop hits, please. Annoying. Anywho. Uh, so, yeah, that's about it in terms of that. Uh, I feel it can have some emotional meaning to it. Have you ever heard Negative Creep by Nirvana? No, but I'm sure whatever Kurt Cobain is saying is more uh, emotionally resonant than whatever Sam Smith is saying. Let's, let's look up Negative Creep lyrics. Let's see. Uh, lyrics.com? No, wait. Uh, genius.com. Let's see this. There'll be some, some, uh, it'll say what it's about. Oh, wait, it doesn't. I mean, these lyrics are pretty repetitive. This is out of our reach. This is out of our reach. I'm a negative creep. I'm, I'm a negative creep. Uh, this is out of our range, out of our range. Daddy's little girl ain't a girl no more. Yeah, this isn't really Nirvana's most profound song, it looks like. It's, I mean, I think to be profound, you kind of have to uh, have a, more than five phrases in there. Or how many phrases are there? There's like four phrases, the whole song. I think, like, Polly's a profound song. Because oh, it has uh, multiple sentences that uh, are different. I think to be profound, you kind of have to have uh, more than one is just repeated over and over again. Uh, regardless, from how I'm reading the negative creep lyrics, uh, it sounds kind of like Kurt Cobain is like, I'm just taking a guess here, um, sounds kind of like Kurt Cobain is 
playing a character who's like an abuser or something, kind of like uh, with Polly, which is about, you know, uh, abuse. So it's kind of saying like, yeah, if you if you if you call your your girlfriend daddy's little girl, you're kind of uh, crazy and kind of don't do that. Just a thought. I could be wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe uh, Kurt Cobain called uh, Courtney Love freaking daddy's little girl all the time, but I kind of doubt that because it's kind of fucking cringe. And Kurt Cobain wasn't exactly the cringe meister. Um, you know, it's. It's ironic. It's to make a statement about the type of people who would say, Daddy. It's not just like, Daddy's getting hot in the body shop. In the body shop. Doing something unholy. One of the lyrics is, Daddy's little girl ain't a girl no more. Well, that's practically the only lyric. It's, uh, and so it continues. It's a pretty grungy song, and the daddy isn't sexual or intended to be childish. Then what is it supposed to be? I'd listen to it if you haven't yet. What is it supposed to be if it's not sexual? Let's see, uh... Wait, what, what is, what, what, what's the lyric supposed to be? Is it just ironic nonsense? I mean, I guess Nirvana could do that. They, they, they do that sometimes, but... It does, uh... Is, is there a meaning to it? What's the meaning? Surely there is a meaning. Let's see. Negative creep meaning. Surely there is a meaning to it. Negative creep from the Nirvana wiki. Negative creep is the seventh track on Bleach. Oh, that explains why I've never heard it. It's from Bleach. Um, uh, the song was written by Kurt Cobain about himself, and he claimed that he always saw himself as a negative person. Uh, the song has been also descri been described as creepy, which works quite well with the title. Yeah, right? It's Kurt Cobain saying, hey, I'm a negative creep. So he's kind of playing into the side of himself who'd say something cringy like, daddy's little girl ain't a girl no more. His negative creep side, per se. Jekyll and Hyde, you know. But I, I really doubt... Just like in casual conversation, Kurt Cobain would be like, Daddy's getting hot at the body shop. Because, uh, you know, that's just like, it's cringe. I, I can't see Kurt Cobain doing that. Call, call me crazy. Uh, I, I can't see Kurt Cobain saying that type uh, phrase, ironically. I mean, yeah, it's about a negative creep, right? Pretty self-explanatory. If you are a negative creep, you'll say cringe shit like, Daddy's little girl ain't a girl no more. She, she's daddy's big woman now. Off-putting. I think Kurt Cobain gets that. 
Hey, let's listen to it. Live on the air, my first reaction to a neg negative creep. Ne negative creepo. Let's hear it. Is my stupid computer going to freeze or what? No. Here we go. So. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of insulting to compare Unholy to a, <laughs> a fucking Nirvana song. Two separate fucking leagues apart. Two worlds apart, you know. They're, they're nothing. A whole, whole lovely. Oh yeah, this is this is great. This is way better than I'm calling. I can probably excuse the use of the term "daddy" if it's like again a, a great song, which is what every Nirvana song. times, you know. Makes perfect sense. I get it. This is much deeper than Unholy. Actually, Unholy is vapid. Even Beyonce has a song called Daddy. Okay, well that's probably Beyonce's most cringe song then. Let's hear that. Beyonce, Daddy. Beyonce's okay vocalist, I guess. Eleven you oh, is this is an early song of hers. Let's see, this this might be Beyonce's worst song. Piano intro is pretty good. You can have good songs with daddy in it, but Daddy does subtract quite heavily from the, the quality of the song, if you say Daddy. Oh wait, is this actually about Beyonce's dad? Uh, oh yeah, it's actually about uh, her actual dad. So, I guess that's a fine excuse if it's actually about her dad. Beyonce explained that the song's development was motivated by the devotion and loyalty of her father-slash-manager Matthew Knowles as towards his family members. Yeah, fine. I mean, it's immature, but, you know, I mean, it, it's a little, it's a little kindergarten for my taste, but that's, that's fine, I don't care about that. It's just her actual dad, fine, whatever. <laughs> that's, that's not a, nothing wrong with that. It's actually kind of catchy. I kind of, I kind of like the, way better singing than unholy. And like Beyonce has, you know, the frickin' pipes. She's got the frickin' B flag on there. This is an okay song. Um. Uh, but yeah, if you have if you have frickin' Daddy 
Just, just like, again, just like not in the context of your father and not ironic like Nirvana. Um, and you're just like, Eddie's getting hot at the body shop doing something unholy. Uh, then you're a joke. That's a fucking meme song there. Uh, I'm not going to take that seriously. And nobody can expect me to take that seriously. Uh, that's meme territory right there. Daddy's getting hot at the body shop. Uh, it's so stupid. It's, it's so fucking dumb. Uh, but like I was saying, uh, as an asexual, uh, I, I, I need a song that sounds good, actually. Like, music actually appeals to me on a deep level, if it sounds good. Like a good fucking song. Uh, and if it's a bad song, I really notice, you know. But uh, you, can't, you can't just use, oh, well, it's putting forward the gay agenda. That's nice, that's good. People should be given the, the gay message and, you know, be more enlightened about LGBTQ-type topics. But it, it's how it's the same way I feel about shitty LGBTQ romance movies like Love, Simon. If you make a shitty movie or a shitty song about being gay, if your if your gay movie or gay song is cringe, then people will associate being gay with cringe. That's the thing, right? You have to be cool, for people, to be like, oh wow, being gay is cool. It's about image, you know. If you have a cool ass song like Montero that fucking slaps, and that makes gayness look cool. Not the music video, because the music video is too much CGI. But the song itself, just on its own, is a cool-ass song. So, I, I think that a lot of people don't get this. Like, you can't just say, be like, this is a gay song, which doesn't even make sense with Unholy, because, again, it's, it's not even about being gay. It's just about cheating on your partner which is a universal subject that anyone can relate to. And maybe that's why it, it's, you know, so big, because it's, like, universally relatable. It's an extremely generic, bland subject that every fucking song is covered. Right? Um, but like, yeah, if, if you want to have a song about being gay, you know, a more niche experience, a more niche perspective, a more interesting perspective, certainly, than just being cheated on, and yeah, you should make it sound cool, and make it sound good, and you can't just be like, this is a gay song, so you should like it, no, I'm not just gonna like a song just because it has a nice message, if that was the case, I'd like the freaking you know, in the arms of the angel that they play during ASPCA commercials. I don't like that song. It has a good message. It's nice, I guess. It's a nice song. Donate today to save a frickin' cat in, cat in suffering. The cat's named Sam Smith, because that's how Sam Smith sounds when they sing. Um, <laughs> as besides the point, um... You know, a song can have a nice message, but also sound ass. And that's the case with Unholy. It sounds ass. Uh, and I think, you know, like, you gotta make a good movie or a good song. Uh, 
if you want to present LGBTQ as, like, cool and epic, you know? You can't just make, like, trash and be like, this, this is, this is great, because it's about being gay. Like, no, it's still a bad song, it's just about being gay, which, again, Unholy isn't even about. So, yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, it's just a nonsense phenomenon. I don't get it. I don't get it, and uh, that's just my opinion. I can't fucking stand unholy or just like most things. Sam Smith in general, I think. I think the vocals are terrible, but uh, you know that's my opinion. And I know a lot of people say, "Oh, that's just you know." I I have an opinion. You should respect my opinion. Well, that's my opinion. Seems like whenever I shit on something really popular, everyone's like, Oh, you can't shit on that, Nicholas. You can't shit on Scott Pilgrims. You can't shit on uh, frickin' Rick and Morty. Oh no, Nicholas, you can't have that opinion. But whenever someone has an opinion that I call bullshit on, they're like, That's just my opinion. But then I'm not allowed to have my opinion on anything. Keep in mind, Anything I say about a song or movie or whatever the fuck is just my opinion. There's no way it wouldn't be my opinion. Anything I say about music or movies or whatever, it's my opinion. But I think my opinion's pretty fucking sound, all things considered. I think I know where my head's at, you know? I think my opinion is somewhat justified and based, as they say, you know? Just a thought. I, I, I don't care much for Sam Smith. And the, the, the unholy song. Uh, that said, I've been talking about this for like an hour and 20 minutes at this point. Yeah, uh, unholy is the new, it's like the Island Boy song, the frickin', you know, all, the, all these TikTok songs that are just designed to be on TikTok for a month and then completely fall off. And, you know, maybe Sam Smith could catch on if they went down the Adele route. It's like soft, you know, operatic, sad, lonely b ballads. Um, but that's not the direction they've gone. It's, it's like a pop route, which is the worst route. Not that Sam Smith would necessar necessarily succeed if they went a... a, a, a a more Adele type route. Um, I still think like not a good vocal range, not appealing vocals whatsoever. To me personally, maybe you really like Sam Smith's whiny, like goofy cadence. Did you ever ever do? Uh, I'm not too big into that. I don't think Sam Smith's that great a singer. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't see the next David Bowie or Elton John currently in the pop landscape, really. Um, it, it'll happen eventually. I mean, heck, maybe it's Lil Nas X. Maybe Lil Nas X's next song will just be so fucking awesome. I, I am a bit of a Lil Nas X stan. I do kind of have hope uh, for Lil Nas X's kind of blend of pop and rap and real commercial appeal that's, like, actually, uh, competent, but, uh, 
out each their own, I guess. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you like Sam Smith over Lil Nas X in the pop scene. Uh, again, just like you now listening to romance songs or whatever as an asexual, uh, I find it kind of boring. So for me to like a romance song, has to actually be catchy. Tons of them are. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't, like, connect with it. On the other hand, a song like, again, Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads uh, is a much more interesting song to listen to because it's not about a subject as predictable and repetitive and generic as I'm into someone. They like me. I like them. We're in a bang. Now, it's, like, Once in a Lifetime about a fucking existential crisis. I think about it, a lot of my favorite songs are about existential crises. Owner of a Lonely Heart, that's about existential crises. Don't just think it's a romance song because it's got a heart in the title. It's a fucking dark-ass song, and the music video is fucking crazy. Uh, I like You Can Call Me On by Paul Simon. That thing fucking slaps. That thing's about a guy who want, just wants to commit suicide because his life is falling apart. Crazy interesting subject material to make a song about. And Chev Chase in the music video. What an awesome music video. Uh, you Can Call Me Al is an example of how not to be too opulent or extravagant or crazy. So refined, so so reserved, just a pink room, and Paul Simon comes in, Chev Chase comes in, they do a little drums, they do a little flute, then they leave. That's all you need for, for a music video, actually. Not every music video needs to be this schlocky, big-budget, giant spectacle. Not every music video needs to be thriller. Some music, video, music videos actually benefit from subtlety. Um... I like You Can Call Me Al a ton. What a, what a great music video. I, I like songs about existential crises. Uh, I actually prefer them to uh, romantic-type songs. Not necessarily because I have existential crises. In fact, my autism prevents me from experiencing depression or suicidal thoughts or anything on that level. Uh, I just really like uh, neurology. I'm fascinated by how the human brain works and how the human brain can uh, slowly disintegrate. I like that. And uh, I think mental illness is a fascinating subject. Not because I have it, not because I can relate to it. There's very little relatability in it for me. Um, I just think it's cool, like in the Owner of a Lonely Heart music video, where the guy starts seeing lizards and shit all around and he just has this fucking breakdown. The men in black take him into this courtroom. He breaks down. He goes down the elevator. There's a fight with, like, the, the metalworking guy. Then he goes up on top of the building. And suddenly he's, like, cornered by all of Yes. Yes is just clustering around him. It's like the fucking Matrix, basically. And then he just jumps off the fucking building. That shit's epic. Epic music video. Um... Not because I, uh, you know, not because I uh, think about committing suicide. I think it's an interesting subject. It kind of reminds me of the scene in uh, Pierce Brosnan's movie Nomads, where the nomad falls off the roof. It's it's interesting, like it legit is. 
I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe these days there just aren't enough songs about existential crises and suicide because it's kind of a, a sensitive topic these days or whatever, but I think, I think yes, handle it, res like, respectfully. I think Paul Simon handles it pretty respectfully with You Can Call Me Al. I think You Can Call Me Al is a fine song about, about, uh, suicide and depression and existentialism. Good fucking song. Um... I prefer that to songs about relationships, but like I said, there's plenty of songs about a big romance that are catchy, so, you know, whatever. Mickey might be an extremely vapid pop song, uh, but damn, if, if Tony Basil's just flipping catchy-ass chorus, just... It's fun. It's a fun fucking chorus. It's fun to listen to. It, it it's a little grating, but not like unholy. Daddy's getting high at the party. That just is sound. Let me let me watch the "You Can Call Me Al" video here. It's 4:30. I'm gonna do a live reaction to "You Can Call Me Al." I haven't seen it in some time. So right off the bat, we got kind of a shaky cam out of this pink room. Right, it's great. Uh, on one side we got the we got the what is it trombone on the other we got the horn um and again very reserved very minimalist and i think the you can call me all set because it looks like a talk show and you can call me al kind of sounds like the theme of a talk show and it's kind of like chev chase and paul simon or like on a daytime TV talk show, like Ellen or, or Oprah or something. I think that works extremely well. It fits what the song is going for, right? So, or, and they both try to squeeze through the door at the exact same time, which is actually a really funny bit. It's actually really humorous how Paul Simon is short and Chev Chase is tall, and they both try and squeeze through the door at the same time. Fantastic choreography. And this isn't extravagant choreography. This isn't like shit that, you know, they, they probably rehearsed like 50 fucking times in a giant bespectacled mansion. This is just, you know, being charismatic. Paul Simon was probably just like to Chev Chase, hey, let's try and fit through the door at the same time. And Chev Chase was like, okay, that'd be funny and, and look cool. And then... You know, bam, there you go. Iconic music video shit. So now they walk in the pink room, and they both kind of adjust their coats somewhat. Now this is vital because it gives them an air of approachability, of spontaneity, and like they're getting down to business. Every single movement in the You Can Call Me L music video is actually very intentional. I have no doubt about it. Paul Simon knows what the fuck he's doing. But again... Not rehearsed as much as the unholy music video or whatever. It's too much. Too much shit. This is back when music videos took themselves seriously as an artistic medium. So then they both sit down in the chairs. They have a good look at each other. And then they have a nice handshake. Now this is to say, hey, Chev Chase and Paul Simon are buds. And Paul Simon is about to, to say something fun. But the, re the reason this... this, this you know, well, par partly the talk show format kind of sets it up as, like, you know, on, on daytime TV talk shows like Ellen or whatever, 
oftentimes they'll say really depressing shit like my eating disorder and how it ruined me or I, I got addicted to crack and went homeless, you know, really depressing shit. So you can call me out as making a statement about that, about the contrast between the bright, cheery pink room and the really gaunty music and the really dark lyrical matter, which is what talk shows do. They have the really bright, peppy theme tune and they talk about really depressing shit. In fact, You Can Call Me Al is actually better than Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. Because whereas Foster the People, this really dark subject matter that's actually much more dark than just some guy with depression, uh, you know, it's actually like a mass tragedy, and they try and commercialize that and be edgy. Uh, Paul Simon, on the other hand, having come off, you know, a long run as uh, Simon Garfunkel, and you know, songs like The Sound of Silence, which are very actually sincere, Paul Simon doesn't come off like an insecure dipshit uh, or an insincere dipshit at all. Uh, He actually comes off as really genuine and cool in this music video. This is a good example of how to make a song with dark subject matter uh, and and a peppy, upbeat uh, tune and actually have the juxtaposition work really well. Unlike Foster the People, who's an annoying hipster band and their most well-known song, because they're they're just a one-hit wonder, uh, their most well-known song is pretty much just ass. It's just gimmicky ass. You Can Call Me Al here is great. After the handshake, we get some icon shit. Chev Chase pops up his leg, and he, and he crosses his legs, right? And he's wearing the, the epic, you know, white shoes, right? And then he starts talking with Paul Simon's voice. You think that Paul Simon is going to start talking, but suddenly it's Chev Chase who starts talking. Yeah, Paul Simon actually starts talking. You can see he starts moving his lips, but then Chev Chase starts lip syncing to it. So right there is a funny surprise. That's epic and makes the music video a lot more fun to watch that Chev Chase is talking with Paul Simon's voice. That's inherently funny, and uh, that's great. It's a great freaking music video. Now, I personally don't do lip syncing in any of my music videos because the editing software I use makes that very difficult, and it'd be too much trouble, and I focus more so on interesting visuals. But in terms of a lip sync, holy shit, You Can Call Me Al has already succeeded on all fronts here in just 24 seconds in to a 4 minute and 35 second song. So now, Paul Simon leaves the room because he's miffed, because Chev Chase has stolen the spotlight. And I really like this. There's just a dark void outside the pink room. So with this, we get kind of a waiting for Godot or Sartre's no exit type situation where the pink room is presented as the entire universe. You're not distracted by a million gaudy things going on all at once like you do with contemporary pop music, like Taylor Swift's Me Song, for instance, where every single set is just the most extravagant, crazy shit. With You Can Call Me Al, it says this one pink room is where to keep your focus on. And outside, there isn't anything worth paying attention to. There's just this dark void of emptiness. It's just the abyss back there. The Chev Chase keeps telling the story about Bone Digger, and then we see Paul Simon walk past the door, walk 
sideways across the black void with uh, a big drum uh, is little bongo and it's funny again because paul simon is a pretty short guy all things considered and the bongo is interesting uh, in comparison with his size and then chev chase of course being the tall one uh that's 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 a well-placed shot Chev Chase keeps talking about Mr. Beer Melon and the like. And then Paul Simon comes back on the chair and they go into the chorus. And this time they're both talking. Chev Chase and Paul Simon are both lip syncing. But Paul Simon is twiddling his thumbs because he feels like Chev Chase is much more confident. Now this is a great technique because it makes the singer look less like it, like an arrogant dipshit and more like, oh... Paul Simon is just kind of this timid little guy. And Paul Simon is kind of just a timid little guy in, in, in real life, so it, it works. You buy that Paul Simon is this timid little, you know, he's not really the most outspoken. And this really contrasts so well with Chev Chase's boisterous mannerisms, where he's like, oh yeah, I'm Chev Chase, I'm telling the story of Mr. Beer Melon here. Uh, great freaking music video. Just go, going shot by shot here, explaining as to why this is a great music video, a master class in how to do it correctly. Two chairs, one pink room, one dark void behind the pink room, couple instruments. That's all you actually need for a great music video, provided you have really great personality, like with Chev Chase and Paul fucking Simon, uh, two, two extremely expressive, interesting people to just look at. Uh, to carry a music video, you have to be fun to watch. Just with music, not with, you know, dialogue. Just like, you know, look at, wow, I can dance, I can, I can do all these motions. Chev Chase has a hilarious motion at 1.14. When he says, gone, gone. He, he swerves from side to side. You can really tell he's getting into this story, even though he's not even actually singing it. He's just lip-syncing it. When he says, duck back down the alleyway, he points behind him. Again, this is all in the framing of it's like a daytime TV talk show. It's brilliant. It's absolutely fucking brilliant, the way this music video is choreographed. And I don't know if most of it is improv, improv or if they talked over it, like, you know, once before the thing. Like, oh, you know, Paul Simon's like to Chev Chase, do this when when your lip syncing might just be spontaneous body language because Chev Chase is really good with that shit. Uh, maybe it's half and half. I don't know. Anyway, Paul Simon twiddles his thumb more. Now, Chev Chase, this is subtle, but Chev Chase is actually tapping his toes to the song. You know, they probably have it playing on like a boom box out in the studio, but Chev Chase is tapping his toes to the song. And Paul Simon isn't, because the idea is that Chev Chase is having more fun with Paul Simon's upbeat song than Paul Simon, which is a funny idea. Now we get the flute. The flute is some icon shit. Paul Simon pulls the flute out of his jacket pocket, and you wouldn't have even noticed it was there, but it's there the whole time. And again, this is back when uh, music videos were, were preserved on VHS, so it's a really great fucking music video with, a, with an epic aspect ratio. That quality snaz is just there in spades. Uh, so, you know, it's not, it's not, HK, it's not fucking HK40R high def. 
you know, I, I, I know some music videos from this era have been re-released as like 4K, high-def, high-resolution shit. Um, I hope that that's never the case with You Can Call Me All. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be necessary with You Can Call Me All as a point. It, it, Paul Simon doesn't actually have the flute before he leaves the room during the first verse. But then he exits, and you just see him with the drum. You don't see him get the flute. But then when he sits back down, he actually does have the flute. It just kind of looks like a pin. In fact, given the resolution of the video at 480p, it just kind of looks like a, like a blue blob. So you don't notice it, right? And this is an example of how having a low resolution, believe it or not, can actually look good sometimes and actually be useful for misdirection or for like an interesting bit. A Paul Simon pulls out the flute. And it's like this hidden surprise, and you're like, oh shit, Paul Simon is doing flute. This happens at uh, around 144, 144 in the music video, yeah. So he pulls it out, and it is really just like the size of a ballpoint print pin. It's a pretty small flute. It's nothing too extravagant. It's very understated. Now, while Paul Simon is playing the flute and getting down with that epic funky flute solo, Chev Chase picks up a glass of water off the floor, which is mysteriously appeared, because he's a thirsty boy. And again, the daytime talk show theme. You always have the water, the, the you know, glass of water the guest gets to, to loosen their pipes up. So Chev Chase is going to keep talking about this extremely dark subject matter while Paul Simon jams out on the flute. Chev Chase is taking a big sip, a big sip of water there. And then he gives a little thumbs up a little nod to the camera. He's like, looky, Paul Simon kicks ass on flute. He's like, oh shit, look, look at Paul Simon. What, what a badass, you know? Uh, so then Paul Simon goes at it, then he stands up. So now Paul Simon's having fun. So, you know, Chev Chase isn't just having fun. Now Paul Simon's really getting into this flute. And again, it's all pre-recorded. So actually, in real life, he's probably just playing an extremely rough version of this. But, you know, he's really getting down. So you can assume he's really enjoying himself on the flute there. Stands up. He's like, oh, shit. And then Chev Chase does this little motion with his arms where he, like, taps his elbow, puts his arm up, taps the other elbow, puts the other arm up. It's great. It's such an epic move. And Paul Simon is, like, swaying side to side. You can just see the animism. He's like a rubber band. And his legs go out. And obviously Paul Simon... You know, this is near his Graceland period, so he's kind of getting into the into the crazier world rhythms and beats, and that really comes through with You Can Call Me Al, especially with the drumming, which is epic. Now, so, uh, then Paul Simon, uh, continuing with the music video here, computer's very slow, Chev Chase kind of puts his hand out towards Paul Simon to say, look at this shit. You seeing what I'm seeing? This is fucking epic. Paul Simon's little flute solo here. And then Chev Chase does this shit with his knees, where he, like, does them back and forth. He puts his hands on his knees and goes, mm-mm, side to side. Epic. Epic shit. Now Paul Simon tosses the flute to, to just in midair. He's just like, I'm done with this shit. And then Chev Chase, being the total badass he is, just catches that shit. And, you know, this, this catch obviously 
probably took a couple of shots to get right, but holy shit, does it look good. Just like Paul Simon tosses it, he's like, I don't give a shit anymore, bro, take this. And Chef Chase is like, fuck yeah, dude. Trombone time up in this his ass. So now they rise to their feet. They're fucking choreographed epic. And again, it's not even like they're trying. They're not even trying hard. They're not even like, you know, you didn't have to get a full-ass dance troupe out here. Paul Simon and Chev Chase just look really good next to each other, kicking and swinging with their horns, with their trombone and horn. And it's great because Paul Simon is like two full feet shorter than Chev Chase. So that's, that's hilarious and epic. It looks really cool to see just how much taller Chev Chase is than than Paul Simon. You, you you don't you don't even necessarily whenever you see Paul Simon you you don't even necessarily think oh Paul Simon he's he's tiny, but because he's not like that small. But just next to Chev Chase, you know the big hulking giant that is Chev Chase, the like it it looks great. It looks so epic. You see, like, such solidarity in the way they kick together. So now the, tr the trumpet part is over by 2.30. It goes by pretty fast. You can call me El Never Bores you. So Chev Chase turns towards the camera. He's like to Paul Simon. He gestures. Time to leave the pink room and go back into the void, Paul Simon. And Paul Simon uh, obliges. He gives a little... He raises the trumpet a little while he's leaving here at 231 as if to say, like, I'll be back, I'll be right back, don't worry, I'll be right back to this weird daytime talk show pink room, right? So now Chev Chase is back to relaying the story about how he holds no currency and it's the first time around and all this. Excellent body language, again, from Chev Chase when he's just sitting alone in this chair. This is fantastic expression on his part. Probably just Chev Chase has really good fucking body language, you know, because he's from SNL. And back in the day, you know, SNL, you had to have fucking good body language because those sketches are so fucking solid. And he and he's Chevy Chase, and you're not Chevy Chase. You'll never be Chevy Chase. So now we get the hilarious shot where Paul Simon is entering the room with the big drum seen earlier and the guitar. And he actually has to swerve to avoid hitting the side of the door. Again, more excellent slapstick physical comedy here from Paul Simon. This is such a great music video. Let's see, uh, you can, you can call me Al. Let's look up the stats here. Uh... Going going back to the uh, music video here, chronologically, trying to give a shot-by-shot -shot breakdown of why this music video is so epic. So Paul Simon pops in the room with, with, the, with the guitar. Actually, maybe it's a bass. I think it's a bass, right? So he's in there with the bass and the drum. Jeff Chase actually has to pick up the drum, the drum stand and give it to Paul Simon. And it's funny because you can tell that Paul Simon is kind of struggling to carry all this heavy shit. Again, going with the theme that he's a little guy. You know, he's he's a little... He's a little dude. And, um... And the, um... And, and he can't really hold these so great. 
and then he looks at the camera like, dang, can you get a load of this, am I right? They keep looking towards the camera, and this isn't try-hard, like, fourth-wall-breaking shit. This is just like, I want to be relatable and fun, so I'm going to look at the audience every now and again, just to remind them that we're out here, you know? So they're both looking at the camera. Paul Simon is really reluctant with the with the bass in his lap. He's like, "Shit, do I want to play this?" He looks like a he looks like a like a sad baby. It's so epic. Now with the bit where it's like, "You can call me Al," the really high note. Chev Chase just like leans back. He really is like, "Yeah, you can call me Al." Now he starts going na 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 na, and he. Spreads his hands out, does a little thing with his hands where it's like lower and higher. Paul Simon keeps twiddling his thumbs, keeps the thumb twiddle going. Now Paul Simon stands up, and with the Bone Digger chant, um, Paul Simon goes bump, bump, dump, and the drumming is just epic. And you know, it probably obviously doesn't sound good, because again, it's a studio recording. Paul Simon is just riffing off the studio recording here. It didn't sound that good in reality. But they just have fun with it. They just don't care that it doesn't actually sound that great while they're actually in the room. Chev Chase is a pro, and he's like, yeah, you can call me hell. The enthusiasm they put into this fake, this fake playing of the instruments here, it's epic. Paul Simon goes at the bass, slaps that bass harder than anyone has any right to. Then they go back to the thing where they copy each other's movements. Chev Chase stands up on the horn, Paul Simon gets in that bass. Chev Chase is dancing. Holy shit, this is legendary. This is icon shit here. They're both matching their movements perfectly. And they're just having a good fun time. Chev Chase and Paul Simon just banging out. And this isn't a music video. You can just tell it's not a music video that took more than a couple takes to get right. And it didn't take a giant fucking budget. It's just Chev Chase and Paul Simon in a big pink room jamming out together. And that's epic. Simon did not like the original music video that was made, according to... Uh, according to the uh, Wikipedia page here. Which was a performance of the song Simon gave during the monologue when he hosted Saturday Night Live in the perspective of a video monitor. Yeah, that does sound pretty lame. A replacement video was conceived partly by Lauren Michaels and directed by Gary Weiss. Who's this Gary Weiss guy? Let's see what else Gary Weiss has done. Oh, wow, he co-directed the, Beatle, the Beatles spoof All You Need Is Cash, which is actually epic. So, that's cool. Uh, good, good director here. Probably much better than the director that uh, uh, Sam Smith got for, what was that song called? I'm Not Here to Make Friends. Uh, much, much better director, I would say. Much, much more reputable director to direct a music video. Uh, a replacement video is conceived, so this isn't even the video that was originally planned. This is some last-minute shit that was just thought up on the fly. Lauren Michaels was just like, hey, Chev Chase, you want to jam out in some room with Paul Simon? Chev Chase is like, okay, and a legend is born. Let's see if You Can Call Me Al original music video is uh, on YouTube. Just for comparison's sake, to see how, uh, to see how it looks. Oh yeah, here we go. It's, it's, uh, 
looks like pretty low quality, or maybe it's uh, it's on a video monitor, so it's supposed to look low quality. I kind of like it being a VHS nut, and I guess if you I guess if you're a VHS nut, you probably would like the the music video because it's very it's got those nice pixels and it's recorded off a of VHS. Definitely a music video that could not happen without without VHS for sure. But on the other hand, it does just kind of look like Paul Simon giving a live performance on SNL, which is kind of boring. You know, everyone can just see that. Oh, the, the, the live part of SNL. That's not icon shit. The reason the You Can Call Me Al music video works so fucking well is because it's unlike anything else. And it's very basic. It's not, it's not too much. It's not an overload or anything. They just thought, let's have Paul Simon and, and, and Chev Chase in a big pink room. And they just play instruments to the song, and they're not actually, they're just lip-syncing it, but you just have them stand and, and do moves together. That's epic. That's, that's, all, that's all you fucking need. Uh, it's freaking good. Uh, the Wikipedia article continues, uh, with ge gestures punctuating the lyrics as Simon lip-synced to the backing vocals and brought in various instruments to play when they respectively appear in the song. The six-foot, four-inch chase... Wow, Chev Chase is a fucking beast. I'm only, like, six-one. Uh, moving in unison with the five-foot, three-inch Simon also provides an amusing juxtaposition. That it does. He's like... Yeah, a, a foot and an inch shorter. That is amazing. It really is... It really is uh, epic. It really is an epic look to see Chev Chase and Paul Simon jamming out together, but Chev Chase is tall, and Paul Simon is small. That shit is legendary. So, just a, a little tip there um, to any current pop stars. There's an example of how to make an epic music video. Zero CGI, barely a budget, just a couple instruments, and you're good to go. You don't need any extravagant shit. If Paul Simon can do it, so can you. You can just make a music video in a room with very minimal shit, and have it be good uh, if you're impressive and talented and charismatic. You Can Call Me Al has 112 million views, and it's not even that crazy a music video. It's just Paul Simon and Chev Chase jamming out. So, if you're as charismatic or interesting as Paul Simon or Chev Chase, odds are your music video will get big. So if you don't have a giant Sam Smith-sized balls-to-the-wall budget where you can hire a big-ass mansion and a big-ass dance troupe and all this shit, uh, don't worry, you don't need that. The best music videos of all time, a lot of them are extremely minimal and just kind of focus on the song. Um, so, yeah. Just a little lesson there for all you aspiring music video directors and musicians out there, anyone hoping to make a, a great music video, um... Minimalism sometimes is the key. That'll be it for this week. Just thought I would share my thoughts on Unholy. That really is about all there is to talk about this week. Unholy is the current scourge sweeping TikTok trends and the like. I just thought it'd be fun to dunk on it for a bit. 
Uh, I do not like Unholy. He's getting hot in the party shop, doing something unholy, if you ever have enough. Uh, that's it for this week on the Nicholas Comics Q&A. Uh, Sam Smith is cringe. Uh, that's it for me. I'm, I'm done. See you next week. So stupid. So freaking dumb. What are we thinking? You're selling things on the home shopping network. Can't you do that dance? Do you want to be on the show? Join the Nicholas Comics Discord server today. I'll answer any questions you have. Hey, this is just you can appear in the next episode. <laughs> Do you want to buy Nicholas Comics? Right to Nicholas Gang, 1424 Columbine Street, number 1, Denver, on Colorado, 80206. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on the next episode. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, elephants, I know. Everything must go, so please, call in now.